0: So the Lord started dealing with me for today on Tuesday specifically. With this text, I was at work so I wasn't able to read it but I just remembered the text and, and it led to just the intercession that he had me making all day on Tuesday. And, And and that just began what he was sharing with me all week long. And uh, as I was kind of capturing it this morning, that's kind of my routine typically. It's just getting up early Saturday morning and, and begin to allow it to come out. It quickly became clear that it was too much for one day and uh that's good and that's bad it's it's bad because um this is a very dangerous message for me to give and it's dangerous because it could possibly it could very easily make someone mad very easily can be misunderstood and in particular what's being said will be missed if it's shut down early and it's interesting literally only about half our congregation is here so you guys are all stuck (laughs) and you get the whole thing today Uh, if they're watching online or watching later they have the option of shutting it down and this is my encouragement to everyone don't turn this off and don't quit this message until you get to the end or or you stand the chance of mishearing what's being said Okay, so let me let me pray real quick and then we'll we'll get into the word. Father, we just thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And we are desperate for truth. Indeed, we have a desperation for the truth. We have a love for the truth. We have a hunger for the truth that you have put inside of us. And we're grateful. And we pray right now for ears to hear your truth. Only what the Spirit of the living God is speaking. Nothing more and nothing less. We pray that these words would be protected as they come forth. And again, that they would take root in our hearts and bear much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, someone please, First Kings 16, 29 through 33.
1: the son of omri reigned over israel in samaria twenty and two years and ahab the son of omri did evil in the sight of the lord above all that were before him and it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of jeroboam jeroboam the son of Nebat that he took to he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Zedonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger that all the kings of Israel that were before him. And
0: then in, in his days did... Oh, that's good, Michael. Thank you. That's good. So um, so I, I was at work on Tuesday, and I was... Um, Tuesday's election day, by the way. In case anyone forgot. Um. And at work, I, I just, um, I asked the Lord what I'm supposed to be doing, what I'm supposed to be praying in particular, and he immediately reminded me of this story. And um, the text that, that Michael just read, let me just, um, let me just give a little bit of voice to the severity of the situation. Um, this king that we read about, Ahab, The text says that he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any king before him. And it says that he took lightly the sins of Jeroboam and went way beyond. And Jeroboam, if you remember, was the subordinate that God promised Solomon was going to take half the kingdom because of his forsaking of God. So um, Ahab sinning worse than any king that had come before him so this is a political con- this is the political context that i'm sharing the the king of god's people the leader of god's people in this day did more evil in the eyes of the lord than any king that had come before him and the explanation point is he took for his wife the son of the Sidonian king and the Sidonians, um, they were were the worst of the worst. This was the worst pagan nation around. Um, Their king, the king of the Sidonians name is what? Ethbal. Ethbal. You know what Ethbal means? It means with Baal, or in some translation, son of Baal. So this king named himself the son of Baal, or with Baal. These are, these are the um, Sidonites, a tribe of the Canaanites that were close to the place where the Israelites were. God had clearly said, and we've gone over the text very, very many times that they are not to mix with any of these nations. There's to be no intermarrying with them in particular. Well, the the literal leader of the people of God, the actual king of the people of God, decided to take for his wife wife, the daughter of the guy that named himself with Baal, like B-A-A-L. Are we we recognizing what's going on here? This This is literally, from a political viewpoint, this is the worst possible situation that could ever be done. This is the people of God marrying and mixing with the opposite of the people of God, the sworn enemy. Listen, this is a incredibly confusing political time for the people of God. For the people of God looking at their leadership and, 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 and looking for direction and looking for peace and truth, right? He does literally the worst thing that he could possibly do. And this daughter of Ethbal, um, these people were were so bad, by the way. um, Lots of people think that the term cannibal came from this same tribe. Cannibal, as in cannibal, as in the, the, the pagan practices and worship practices of this people group in particular was cannibalism. This is like literally the most demonic, opposite of God's people, group of people there's ever been. And the king of Israel married the daughter. I'm trying the best I can to paint the picture of how politically bad things were at this time. Okay, this is the story the Lord took me to on the day of elections. Because I was asking God, what am I supposed to pray? How am I supposed to pray? And he reminds me that there was a time when the people of God... And their leader in particular, their king in particular, forsook God and, and, and ignored his commandment in the most extreme possible way he could. He married the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, Jezebel. And what Jezebel brought in and what Ahab clearly did was immediately pagan practice, immediately pagan worship, immediately idolatry and mixing in every way. And this led to, in the people of God, just massive confusion, massive, massive idolatry, complete forsaking of God. So much so that, that Elijah, the one man of God at this time, you guys remember when he basically said, there's nobody listening. He didn't know there were 7,000, but but all he saw was nobody. Everyone's forsaken God. Everyone's lost. I imagine him saying things like, there's no more truth in the land. The lies have become truth, and the truth that becomes lies. Evil is called good, and good is called evil. It was just that level of chaos and disorder. And so God comes to Elijah, and you guys know the story. He says, first of all, you're going to pray for a drought? I'm going to use this drought to... To bring uh, my people's attention, and then and then you're gonna establish a challenge, and on that mountain, you're gonna you're gonna make it. You're gonna make a prayer, and it was on that mountain that the man of God made a prayer, and it was that prayer that the Lord had me speaking all day on Tuesday, all day over and over and over, and um. And before we read the prayer, um. No, let's just read the prayer. Someone please. Chapter 18, verses 36 and 37. So this is once the altar experience is mostly over, all the 450 Baal prophets prayed and prayed and prayed, and guess what? Baal didn't show up. So then Elijah says, all right, my turn. Soak the altar down. Soak the altar cause God's moving when in the most confusing political moment in the history of the people of God in the moment when the when the leadership of the people of God was the most lost and the most disobedient and causing the most confusion by by forsaking God in the most disgusting ways the man of God made one prayer And it wasn't for a party, listen to me, it wasn't for a king, an earthly king, it wasn't for an ideology, or for an outcome, or for an agenda, he made one prayer that maybe is the true heart of all intercession. And the true weapon against such confusion and chaos. What was the prayer? Let's read it. Someone find it for us.
2: And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God of Israel and I am your servant. And that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned, or you have turned their hearts back to you again. Amen.
0: So, no, that's good. (laughs) So, when I got up Tuesday morning, I, I just asked God what to pray and he reminded me of this time when the people of God were this lost and when the leader of the people of God was that disobedient and all the confusion that it caused and all the chaos and all the idolatry and all the forsaking of God and after the man of God said just kill me because nobody's listening Or at some point in this story, he says that. God says, no, I'm I'm doing something to turn the hearts of the people back to me. I'm doing something here. I know how desperate this looks. I know how bad this looks. I know how out of control this makes me look. I I can picture God saying, I know how it may look like I'm nowhere to be found. When the king of Israel marries Jezebel. I know how bad this can look, but I'm doing something. And I'm not doing something for some earthly agenda. I'm not doing for something for some political agenda or political party. I'm not doing anything for some division of man. I'm doing something for the people of God, and that's what. I'm turning their hearts back to me. So the prayer is simple. Let it be known the Lord He is God. Period. That was the prayer. Let it be known the Lord is God. The heart of any and all real intercession the solution to every problem, every deception, every scheme of the enemy, every lie, every ugliness we see in humanity, this is the prayer. Because God uses all of it. And God was doing something in the midst of it. And so I just repeated that prayer. I don't know, I'd like to know how many times on Tuesday. Over and over and over. Let it be known that you are God. Let it be known that you are God. Let it be known that you are God. Turn the hearts of your people back to you. Get our eyes off of all the nonsense. Remind us what's going on here. Remind us who's in charge. Remind us who is sovereign. Did Ahab marrying Jezebel happen under God's sovereignty? Yes. Yes. He owns it all. He owns it all. He is sovereign over all of it. Everything happens by his permission. So in the midst of massive confusion, in the midst of everyone wondering what in the world is going on, who's going to win, what's it going to mean, what's God doing, this was the prayer you had me make. And I share that as a testimony, not because I'm trying to make a political statement, by the way. But it's amazing, and it's often the case, it's probably your experience as well, that, that when you're interceding and as you're praying over and over and over and over into uh, what's going on, your perspective on it just begins to be sharpened, right? God just begins to, to, to clarify things and to open your eyes and, and to, um, I think, just see things more, more clearly. And, and, um, and as I made that prayer all day on Tuesday, and, and as that prayer sort of saturated um, my perspective on the rest of the week, watching the week play out, um, it just, it opened my eyes to a, another piece of this sanctification revelation that we're being given the the why behind sanctification the how behind sanctification the what behind sanctification and in particular the encouragement and the motivation to continue to be sanctified and and the difficult decisions that that is going to bring like Diane gave voice to I mean that moment is the very moment we've been talking about for three weeks when the Word of God highlights an incongruency in your life and you've got to make a choice what you're going to do about it and how that incongruency might be given by the Spirit directly or it might come through someone in this congregation, it might come through me. What are we going to do in that moment? I feel like the Lord is just trying to give us encouragement and motivation for when that moment comes and as that moment comes, decision after decision after decision after decision, we're either going to repent repent and and obey or we're gonna rebel and sin this is to be encouragement to make the right choice there's a there's another layer of of why that the lord is giving and it's going to come through a real weird source (laughs) so this is where i pray that um that you'd not get angry with me and quit on what I'm about to share. Hear me out. Michael, hear me out. If you get up and walk out of here, I might throw my water bottle at you. There's a... There's a... um, I just pray right now, let it be known the Lord, he is God. think maybe every time I feel like I'm getting anywhere near off course today, the Lord's going to remind me by saying that prayer. So bear with me if it gets repeated more than once. So there's a psychologist named Jordan Peterson. Anyone know who he is? Um, He's a, I don't know much about him to be honest. He's a psychologist. I think he's a lecturer, maybe a college professor. Um, He's not very well liked. People think he's cold hearted and Really mean um, but it's because he's very brutally honest and um, and he's brutally honest in particular when it comes to um, he absolutely refuses to allow anyone to play the victim and maybe that's why I I connect with um, some of the things that I've heard him say so so much and to be totally honest I have no idea if he's a believer Um, Here's what I do know is that he is very honest with the truth regarding his study of humanity and humanness as a scientist and psychologist, And, and based on decades of truthful analysis of human behavior, he comes to some conclusions that are unbelievably biblical, whether or not he would recognize it or not. And, um, and one of the things that he has shared recently has given me just incredible um, clarity this week, of all weeks, um, about, about some of the observations that I'm making that maybe you're making too. Um, so I, I really felt like sharing this. This is, this is sort of a, a foundation for a greater revelation why sanctification is so important and um it starts with when when he is dealing with his college kids um he is very quick to say to them that life is hard and uh, more or less he says um if you know if anyone is saying anything contrary to that to you they're they're not being honest or they're trying to sell you something He said, he said, in in fact, he says life is not hard. He says life is crushing. Are some of the, some of the vocabulary I've heard him say. He says life is, in fact, I've even heard him say that life is like a daily crucifixion. This is, I don't even know if he's a believer. Listen to how much he says aligns with the truth of God's word. And he says, um, he says, because life is hard, and a crushing and painful and costly and a struggle and will involve suffering and hurt and disappointment and tribulation. He says because that is the case, um, well, the first thing he says is that doesn't excuse wrong behavior. But, but more importantly, and this is to the, to the, um, to the point where I feel like the, the Holy Spirit is using this to teach me something. He says um, when, when you study humanness and based upon study of wrong behavior— Globally, generationally, he said. Whenever you see, um, you know, just basically um, self-destructive human behavior, he said. You will basically always find two common two commonalities, and he says basically you will find people wherever you see destructive behavior. You will see people who are adrift and miserable. All right, this is, I don't believe this is a believer. This is a psychologist that has studied human behavior and is honest about it. And he basically says, whenever you find people that just continuously engage in destructive behavior, in wrong, wrongness, in lawlessness, to use a biblical term, he said, you will always find people who are first and foremost adrift. And by that, what he means Listen to what he says. He basically says there seems to be evidence that the human spirit, without some kind of a purpose or a meaning or a mission, right, just doesn't work. Yes. It just doesn't work. When people are just adrift, they have no meta narrative shaping their life, they have no like larger why, right? No meaning, no purpose. If they're just adrift and void of those things, they are literally miserable and there seems to be just something innate and created within the human that that's truthful for generationally and all over the world. Whenever you find lawlessness, you find people who are just adrift meaning they have no purpose. And the reason and the dots that he connects that he's so and honest about is he said it's because life is hard and there's pain and there's struggle and there's crushing and there's suffering. And if you don't have a why, listen to me saints, if you don't have a why behind what this life is about, then what is that suffering for? He said, this is, the, this is the place that millennials and college students sit all day, every day. They can't figure out, and, they, and because they're adrift and they don't have a, a meta narrative of driving their life, they sit in this suffering and, and, and they don't know why. They're just adrift. They have no meaning. They have no mission. And so they're dying a little every day. They're being crushed a little every day. And there's no why behind it. And he says, that's why if you're adrift, you're, you're always going to be miserable because life is hard. So what's the opposite of that? He said, well, whenever you find people that have meaning and that have purpose and that have a why, guess what? The suffering becomes purposeful. There's a why behind it. There's a reason behind it. There's a cause behind it. And somehow, some way, it's like human, human beings have been wired that if you're going to die, have something worth dying for. If you're going to be crushed, have something to be crushed for, to be crushed over, to crush, be crushed because of. This is a psychologist who is just honest about human behavior. Isn't it remarkable? Amen. He says, we have, we have a whole country that's just adrift. Lost. No purpose, no why, no meaning. Nothing bigger than themselves that they are giving themselves to. And if you have nothing bigger than yourself that you are giving yourself to, you are literally missing a reason you are created. This is what we know, yeah. right? And if you are missing that literal, let the purpose for your creation is to worship the one true God. The purpose for your creation is to give yourself fully to the one true God. So if that is missing and you have no mission, you are always going to be miserable, And when you are miserable, and this is the conclusion he comes to, the reason he says his general description of humanity in this country, in this day, is hopeless. And he said hopelessness is the result of a group of people who are adrift and miserable, and in their misery, they are just chasing medication, or chasing distraction, or chasing something to take away the pain, Because when you are miserable, and when you are suffering, and you have no why, the only motivation you will have every day is to be rid of that suffering, is it not? Is that not always the flesh's response? Right? And this is why we have an entire generation who goes from distraction to distraction to distraction. Right? And am I talking about the body of Christ in a lot of ways? Absolutely. Have I seen that in the body of Christ during the last week? Absolutely. And there is passion and there is purpose and there is a hint of why. Why? In this election. And people are getting real fired up about it. But here's the reality, and, and this is where I know I'm going to be stepping on toes. I, I pray to God my words come across clear and that you give me some time to come full circle. Guys, this election is going to come and go. Someone's going to get elected. There'll be a short period of time of some people being real happy about it and some people being real sad about it. And then life is going to continue. And everyone who was so hair on fire caught up in this thing is going to fall right back into the pattern of being adrift and miserable looking for another why and that why might come in the form of christmas right there's a, there's a perfect month to be totally distracted caught up in all the desires of the flesh and then when christmas disappoints there'll be a last ditch effort to cling to new year's and when new year's comes and comes and goes, it'll be, um, a, a, a new house or maybe in a new car, Not that I'm talking to you. He <laughs> just got a new car <laughs> or it'll be more alcohol. Or more drugs, or more pornography, or a new husband, or a new wife, or a new state. All of those things, guys, are just medications for being adrift and miserable. When when we see the body of Christ just constantly having to go get something new, go try something new, go change something. What I'm seeing, what I believe the Spirit is convicting me of is those are, those are all signs of being adrift and miserable, of trying to do something about the crushing that this life is, the pain and the struggle and the suffering that even under the best of circumstances this life is, if you're reaching and grasping for something to medicate that, it could potentially be because you are adrift. Meaning what? You you have lost sight of the larger why. And I feel like what I'm seeing in the body of Christ this week is a lack of vision or maybe just a need to be reminded of the larger why. Because America is not the larger why. As much as I love America, it is not the larger why. America is not what God is doing. Listen to me. America is not what God is doing. God is after something way bigger than America. What is it called? The kingdom of heaven. America's doing the kingdom of heaven. I'm I'm sorry. God is doing the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) Let it be known the Lord, he is God this day. Let it be known, the Lord, he is God. I believe I'm to remind myself, my family, in this congregation, the Lord, he is God. He is turning the hearts of the people back to him because we have gone adrift in our mission. And anytime we go adrift in our mission, anytime we lose sight of the macro meta narrative that the God of the Bible is doing, we will always settle for distractions or medications. Now, don't quit on me right now because you haven't heard everything that I'm saying. And I will bring this thing full circle.
1: Matthew four
2: twenty three.
0: Jesus' first sermon. Not coincidentally, we just started the book of Matthew again this week in our Bible study. We read and studied Matthew's chapters 1 through 4. And it was, I believe, because of the prayers that I was making throughout the day on Tuesday, that this text was highlighted to me when we were studying it just as, all right, I'm, I'm reminding you of something here. I'm bringing you back to something here. And this is Jesus' first words, first, first sermon, first message, first proclamation. And it's what? Preach the good news of the kingdom. Preach the, good news of the, kingdom. Preach the gospel of the kingdom. And here's what... Here's what I believe the Lord has reminded me of that I'm to remind my family of that I'm to remind this family of and it's that anyone who belongs to the God of the Bible has no permission to ever be adrift we have no opportunity to ever fall to that temptation because we've been given a very, very crystal clear why. We've been given a very crystal clear agenda. We've been given a very crystal clear uh, purpose. We've been given a reason why the crushing of this lifetime can and should be embraced. There's a reason why. There's a reason why we can endure the pain and the tribulation and the pressure and the cost. There's a reason why we can endure through it. There's a reason why the body of Christ doesn't medicate. There's a reason why the body of Christ doesn't look for distractions. Because we have a why. We have the why. We have the purpose. The global agenda of God has been made known to us. Mm -hmm. The master's business has been made known to us. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. And how dare we ever, ever settle for anything less than the master's business. You hear me? Mm -hmm. Let it be known the Lord, he is God. He is turning our hearts back to him. He is fixing our eyes on him because he's doing something. And the political scene has been way worse than it is right now. The king of God's people married Jezebel. I'm going to remind you all. It's been worse. The prayer at that time was, the Lord, he is God. I believe the prayer for today is the Lord, he is God. I believe the message for today is, I'm turning the hearts of the people back to me. Why? Because we're adrift. And how can we know we're adrift? Because we're just chasing. Chasing what? Medications, distractions, Mm -hmm. lusts of the flesh, lusts of the eyes, and the pride of life. The things that this world can give us for momentary pleasure. And the more we embrace those things, the more we embrace those things and see them fall flat, it just grows in us helplessness. Mm -hmm. So we gotta use more alcohol. So we got to try different drugs. So we got to move again.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right, we got to get back to business. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we're doing we're going to do a Bible study today. Okay, to just remind us of what the word of God says God's business is. Of what the word of God says the the mission of the church is, the mission of the saints, the mission of a set-apart family, the mission of an individual disciple of Christ. What's my mission? How do I get up every day and not just drift through the pain of this world looking for relief? I'm sick of looking for relief. anybody else? I'm sick of searching for relief. I want my steps directed. I want my steps ordered. I want my prayers razor sharp. Right? And here's what the Lord is teaching me you got to get back to your mission. You got to get back to the mission. You got to get back to the global agenda of the God of the Bible. It's bigger than America. Will it, could it, might it include America? I'll leave that up to God. Let it be known, the Lord, he is God. We have something worth suffering for, saints. We have something worth giving ourselves to entirely. We have something worth persevering for. We have something worth overcoming for. We have someone worth overcoming for. We have someone worth suffering for. So let's be reminded of what the manifold wisdom of God is. Because it's the church's responsibility to declare the manifold wisdom of God. It's the church's responsibility to make sure that the body of Christ is not adrift. Listen to me. It's the church's responsibility to make sure that the body of Christ is not adrift. Floating just getting tossed, unacceptable. The manifold wisdom of God has been made known. The truth has been made known. So let's be reminded of it. Okay, first, first one, we're gonna just shotgun style a bunch of texts. Text. The master's business has been in place since the beginning. The Lamb of God was slain before the foundations of the earth. Everything's been revealed by who? At least the prophets, we know. By the apostles. By the words of Christ. This is the reason we have the word. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Because everything the Father has made known to me, I make known to you. So let's, remember, let's be reminded. Right, and the first thing that the Lord reminded me, going back to Matthew 4, was Jesus' words were never, repent for the church is at hand. Repent for religion is at hand. Repent for Christianity is at hand. The, the global plan of God has never been about a religion. It's always only been about a kingdom. If you think religion, you're too small. If you think America, you're too small. Yeah. If you think a president, you're too small. It's always only king and always only kingdom and always only global or cosmos wide. Amen. So first we're just gonna read a bunch of texts. First one is 2 Samuel 7. 2. Uh, I'm sorry, 12 through 16. Someone wanna read that for us?
3: Seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you, your throne shall be established.
0: Read that last sentence again, Kirby. Listen to me, saints.
3: And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever.
0: So God doesn't do anything without making it first known through his prophets. Right? So he, so he has made known through the prophets going back even before this text. I just can't do an exhaustive uh, study on kingdom. You guys would be here all day and no one would like me. Uh, but but I'm just I just picked a few in, in a few specifically that talk about um, the king that's coming to establish that a kingdom that will last how long? Forever. OK, this is a this is a big theme. This is a big deal that the prophet Nathan speaks regarding David's offspring, that someone will come through David's line who is going to establish a kingdom and a throne that will last forever. All right, next one is Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Someone want to read that? How long, how long, what will, what will, what will be established forever? The government of the world will be on his shoulders. This is an incredibly political text. This ain't about religion. Saints give us bigger perspective. Holy spirit. Give us eyes to see the greater thing that Jesus came to do. It ain't about sermons and services. It's about the establishment of a kingdom that will last forever. The establishment of a government, the end of which there will be none. Daniel seven thirteen and 14. Lord, I pray that these texts would sanctify us as we read them. We pray for sanctification by your word for scales to fall off, for ears to be opened, for spiritual eyes to see the greater thing that you are doing. We want to know why, Lord. We want to we understand our why. We want to understand our purpose. We want to understand our call. We want to understand the reason why we get up every day. Give us eyes to see the Lord He is God. And he is establishing a kingdom on this earth that will last forever. Daniel 7, 13 and 14, anyone find that? Go ahead, Michael.
1: I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion, and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him.
0: How many? Listen to me. How many people? Americans? How many? Just Americans? Just Republicans? Listen to me. How many people? The whole earth? The whole earth? He has dominion over who, Michael? Everyone, we're a kingdom people. Those who belong to God are a kingdom people. It's not a nation. We are not national. We're kingdom. We're global. If you think it's national, you don't think big enough. God has given Christ dominion over all people. And the nations, the nations will be discipled. Read that again, Michael. Just, just the end. And go through, um, um, yeah, 14.
1: Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting one, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed.
0: Amen. So if, so if the holy po- uh, prophets spoke of kingdom, if the holy prophets spoke of kingdom and spoke of a king, that it will have dominion over all people, and a reign that will not end, then the holy apostles had to have the same message. God is the center of the holy prophets and the holy apostles. The foundation of the church is the prophets and the apostles, with Christ as a cornerstone. The message never changes. The message is always the same, so it has to be repeated. Right? So what do the apostles say? The Old Testament said very clearly that a king is coming. And when he comes, he's coming to establish a kingdom. And that kingdom is way bigger than one nation and way bigger than one people. It is for all peoples. It is over the entire world. And it will last forever. So what's cool about the apostles' words is they get to speak about the king. And the, and the position and the power and the authority given to that king. Awesome words. Awesome language. Let's read them. First one is Ephesians 17. Ephesians 117 through 23. Who's got it? Now, listen to where Christ is. Go ahead, Kirby. Seated him at his
3: right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come.
0: So, what is not under Christ's dominion? Which nation is not under Christ's dominion? which nation is out there operating outside of christ's sovereignty and dominion which political candidate which agenda which deception which scheme which one is overpowering christ right now listen to me we're clearing some some nonsense up that will erase and remove every ounce of worry and anxiety that is plaguing the body of Christ right now. Christ has dominion over everything, already. Christ already has dominion over everything in this age and in the age to come, in the seen realm and the unseen realm. Michael, which nations does he not have dominion over? Which party does he not have dominion over? Let it be known the Lord, he is God. Colossians 1, 15 and 18, 15 through 18. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. All things are created through Christ and for Christ. Why? Because he has dominion over everything seen and unseen in this age and in the age to come. Everything is created by him and created for him. There is nothing happening outside of his permission, outside of his sovereignty, because he is not in control. Does that mean everything that's happening honors him? Absolutely not. Ahab uh, marrying Jezebel Did not honor God. Did God use it? Absolutely. Did that act of disobedience, that act of mixing, create an environment in which God could send a drought, in which God could get the attention of his people, in which God could call the man of God to make one prayer to turn their hearts back? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because everything is made by Christ and for Christ, he will use it all to accomplish his will. Because he has dominion over all of it. Be at peace, saints. God's in control. Be of good cheer, saints. God is in control. Nothing is happening outside of his sovereignty. No delay, no cheating, No numbers, no sharpies. Nothing is happening outside of God's control. Be of good cheer. God wins. We just get to play it out, right? We get to play it out. What's the play right now? It's at least make the prayer, let it be known the Lord, he is God. It's at least be here today and listen to the mission being restated. The, risk, the mission being re remembered. We're invited into a global why. Why this life sucks. Why this life can be crushing. Why this life is hard and costs and can be lonely and brings about conflict and hurt and divisions. There's a reason we can endure and a reason we can persevere because we're just not adrift. Trying to make ourselves happy with more stuff. We have a purpose and a mission and a why. God's reminding us the why. And I'm going to write it down, doggone it, so we don't forget. (laughs) We need to be reminded, Saints that our mission is the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of America. You can love America. You can vote in America. You should vote in America. But our mission is not America. And our mission is not American. Our mission is the kingdom of heaven. And we are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Colossians 2:10, someone read that one. I just love hearing Jesus' the truth of who Jesus is and where Jesus sits proclaimed. You
3: have,
0: Go ahead, Jackson. Christ is who? Head of every power and authority. Christ is head of every power and authority, every one of them Christ is head. the firstborn from amongst the dead has supremacy. Hallelujah. This theme should run all the way from Genesis to revelation, and it does. We just don 't have a time to do an exhaustive study, but I do like a few of the. Declarations and revelations. Someone read one five. Someone else read seventeen fourteen. And finally, someone read nineteen sixteen. And from Jesus Christ, the
1: faithful witness, born
0: from the, 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 the Who's Jesus ruler over? Which king on the earth is Jesus not over? Let's be super clear about this. If someone, whoever wins this election, is that person over Christ? Have they overruled him, outplayed him, outschemed him, somehow set his authority aside and his supremacy aside and his headship aside to take a position that he doesn't want them in? No, that's impossible. It can't happen. It will never happen. Take heart, saints. Christ is head over every king of the earth. Christ is head over every king in the earth. 1714.
4: These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful.
0: Why does the Lamb win? Because he's sovereign. Because he has been given most of the authority. Isn't that what the text says? Jesus has been given most of the authority. He's been given like 51% authority. We got to be careful though, because some people could outplay him. Because he's been given some authority. We say sometimes pithy phrases like king of kings and lord of lords, but... Our fear doesn't represent that. Our mad scramble to try and save something by our efforts doesn't reflect that. What's the text say, Diane? Why does Jesus win?
4: Because he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen.
0: Why do we fear anything? Why do we have any fear? He is Lord of Lords, and he is King of Kings. He is ruler of all the kings of the earth. He has been given all authority and dominion on this earth, seen and unseen, and in the age to come. There is nothing that is not under him. There is nothing above him. There is no God beside him. There is no God equal to him. He is the one true living God. And there is none other. So why would we fear? Why would we not trust that God is playing it out perfectly? Why? Because sometimes Ahab marries Jezebel, should that throw a throw us into a tailspin? No. He uses it. He'll use everything. Why? Cuz everything is created by him and for him. And he's got a global agenda and he knows his global agenda way better than we know anything. He thwarts the plans of the people and brings the council of the nations to nothing. Only the plans of the Lord stand from generation to generation because he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings and has dominion over everything in this age and in the age to come. And written on his robe, it reads regarding the description of the coming king when he rides into this earth with a sword proceeding from his mouth with which he will strike the nations and tread the winepress of the fierceness of the anger of God Almighty with a robe dipped in blood leading the whole host of angel armies because written on his thigh says what? King King of kings and Lord of of Lords. lords. What are we worried about? We think Sharpies are going to thwart the plans of the God of the Bible. We think, we think some fraud are going to thwart the plans of the God of the Bible. Should it be exposed? Absolutely. We're called to expose every act of darkness, every act of evil. But we don't fear nothing. We fear nothing. We don't fear nothing. That might, probably didn't even make sense. Okay, so so we know who's coming, and we know what he's coming to do. Establish a kingdom that will last forever. Dominion that will last forever. A government that will see no end. A rule and a reign that will see no end. Why? Because he's been given all authority, and everything is being subject to him. So we know who's doing it. Now let's, let's read a little bit about what he's doing. First one is Hebrews 10, 11 through 13. Everyone all right? Yeah. We're doing all right? Tracking? Anyone need to go to the bathroom? Anyone need to pee? <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> all right, who found it? Hebrews 10, 11 through 13. Okay, so whenever you fear body of Christ, recognize you're in disobedience because Christ is already seated. It's, the victory is already won. The final and decisive victory is already won. If it were not already won, Christ wouldn't have sat down. Right? This is the beautiful mic drop moment. And he's sitting doing what? Right? He's waiting. Waiting for what? His enemies to, his his enemies to be made his footstool. Okay, listen to how this is, this is expounded upon by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. So I'm going to read 28, 20 through 28, 1 Corinthians 15. Without that, by the way, the claim that he has all authority could not be made. Right? His final authority, the final proof of his authority is dominion over death. If death cannot hold him, nothing can hold him. Right? So he has, by his resurrection, by the fact of his resurrection, proven that he is indeed Lord of lords and king of kings, ruler of the kings of the earth. Has dominion over every nation and every people group, and every tribe, and language, and tongue, or whatever Revelations 5.10 says, somewhere on there. All right, Kirby, we go ahead?
3: Verse, verse 21. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as, as in Adam all died, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Amen. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at uh, his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all
0: glory. When he delivers America to God the Father. I know I'm stepping on toes. I pray that ears would be opened and hearts will be softened. And this is not anti-America. Please hear me. I am in love with America. I'm so grateful to live in America. My perspective is just... Larger. God's perspective is larger. God's plans are larger. God's invitation for you and I to participate are larger. Will they include America? Probably. We all live here. Will they include Africa? Yep. Will they include South America? Yep. Yep. Because he has dominion over every people. And he is ruler over every king of the earth. Amen? Go ahead, Kirby. Uh,
3: Verse 25. For he must reign until he has, has put all enemies under his
0: feet. Okay, so what is he waiting for? Hebrews 10 says he is waiting until what? His enemies are made his footstool. Read that last text again, Kirby.
3: For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet.
0: Okay, so he has dominion over the whole earth. Already been given that position. Who gave that to him? God the Father. I don't know how all that works. God the Father gave God the Son dominion over all things. Okay, so... At some point, God the Son is going to live, deliver to God the Father the fullness of the kingdom prepared for Him, rid of absolutely anything the Father would not approve of. So this is the process that's going on. This is the what. What are we looking for? The cure to be adrift. We have purpose, saints. We have a why behind every moment of every day, a driving force making us willing to suffer and pay the price. And it's called the kingdom of heaven. And the reason it's not a suffering that's in vain is because we have a king that has dominion over all things. And he has already decided and already established he wants all things. So they're all going to be put under his feet according to his will, by his timing, however he sees fit to do that. Finish that, Kirby. Amen. So God is, through Christ, putting all things under his feet. Now, Philippians 2.10. Jackson, you got that one? Or one of my kids? That at the
2: name of Jesus, every knee should
0: bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Okay, what, so what knees are not going to bow to Jesus? What knees are not going to bow to Jesus. I love how crystal clear the Holy Spirit speaks through the text and the authors of it. Every knee will bow to Jesus, not just on earth, not just on heaven, but under the earth. I don't even really know what that means. I just know that clearly every knee is going to bow. Okay. Everyone. Everyone. Christ is going to put it all under his feet. Every Everything will declare Jesus is Lord. And what will it look like when that takes place? Let's read about the last days in Micah 4, 1 through 3. This, this begins our transition into what we will speak about next week. Right, we're looking for the remedy to being adrift. The remedy to being adrift is having purpose. And why? And perspective. And the perspective is not to build a congregation. Listen to me. It's not to build a, a congregation. It's not to have bigger sermons and services. There's something way bigger going on, right? There's something global going on that God is bringing us back to. He's reminding us of something bigger. What's the the globalness of this mission look like? Micah 4, 1 through 3, someone please. It's a global takeover it's a global takeover the government of god over the whole globe the king over the whole globe it will come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the lord's temple will be established as chief among mountains remember mountains is always authority what's that mean the authority of god will be the only authority on the earth all kings, all nations will flow to that, what, the authority of God. To what? Learn his ways. Because the increase of his government will see no end. It is a global thing, saints. It's global. Guys, remember when, when Daniel saw the stone not cut by humans' hands smash the altar? What did that stone become? A mountain that covered the whole world. Why? Because this is a global takeover. And it's going to happen. So what do we have to fear? We have this invitation to, with joy, participate in the overtaking. Participate in the discipling of America and of China. And of Canada. And of Antarctica, if there's people there. And every other nation, and every other tribe, and every other language, and every other tongue. Because Christ is going to put them all under his feet. And he's going to rule and reign over every one of them. And absolutely nothing is going to stop that because he created everything. And it's all been created by him and for him. And his plans are not thwarted by anything man can do. Nothing, absolutely nothing could man do to thwart the plans of the God of the Bible. That has been proven over and over and over and over, even when Ahab marries Jezebel. So what do we have to fear? We don't. We just have to be reminded the Lord he is God. We just have to be reminded that Christ has all authority. And we need to be reminded in this moment, saints, of what that means to us every day. Because there's no, there's not a second for us to be adrift. Listen to me, there's not one day we can be adrift. There's not one moment of one day where we can not know what the plan is, not know what the mission is. How do you know if you're adrift and not stay in alignment with the mission? when you start getting caught up in all the nonsense when you start looking for the next next distraction or the next medication right that is fruit of misery and misery is the product of being adrift so god is calling us back to the mission what's the mission ephesians three ten. It is the intent of the Father that the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to powers and principalities in the spirit realm through the church. Someone read that, actually. I might have... I'm, I'm, the
1: intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to principalities and powers in heavenly places.
0: You know what that means? It's the church's job to tell the world that Jesus is Lord. It's the church's job to tell the world that Jesus is Lord. It's not the church's job to tell the world that so-and-so is president. It's the church's job to tell the world that Jesus is Lord. Why? 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21. Why does the world need to know that Jesus is Lord? Why does the world need to know that Jesus is the true and blemished lamb? Why does the world need to know that Jesus was the son offering that it pleased the father to crush? Why does it need to know? Why does the world need to know that Jesus is the firstborn from amongst the dead, the Adam of new creation? Why does the world need to know this? First Cor- or 2 Corinthians five eleven through 21 Listen to me. This is the message that God's given to the church to declare to the whole world, to the seen and the unseen realms. This is the message.
4: If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those Because, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation.
0: Why does the world need to know? Because God is reconciling all things to himself through Christ. And if that message is not made known through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is not made known through the church. to the powers and principalities in the spirit realm, then how is the world going to know that God is reconciling all things unto himself through this Christ? They won't. They'll be adrift. They'll get caught up in Democrat versus Republican. They'll get caught up in giant Christmas trees and second marriages and more alcohol and more drugs. There's a global agenda going on, and it's our job to tell the world about it. So how do we do that? We recognize that we are given the ministry of reconciliation. What is the ministry of reconciliation? Mark 4, I'm sorry, Mark 16, 15. Jesus boils it down to one sentence. Mark sixteen fifteen.
3: He said to them, Go into the world
1: and preach the gospel to every creature.
0: Doesn't need a whole lot of interpretation. Go into the whole world and preach the gospel to every creature. That is how the manifold wisdom of God is made known through the church to the powers and principalities in the spirit realm. That is how the body of Christ engages in the ministry of reconciliation. That is how Christ comes to rule and reign in the lives of an individual and in a home and in a congregation and in a community like Anthem and in a city like Phoenix And in a state like Arizona, and in a country like America, on a continent like North America, on a hemisphere like the Western Hemisphere, and ultimately the whole world. Because this is a global takeover. It's a kingdom, it's not a nation. It's a kingdom. It's a king, it's not a president. Because there is only one way to be reconciled. And it is not a political party it's not a country nationality it's not being a son of Abraham it's all the same problems it's all the same deceptions it's all the same adriftness praise God for bringing us back home praise God for reminding us the master's business we're to preach the gospel to every living thing how do we do that specifically Matthew 28 18 through 20 and then I'm done so I'm going to read this last one and this will be our launch pad for next week
1: All authority is
0: given to me. how much authority where what where, where is Jesus' authority not established? give us ears to hear please. Yeah. Amen. and teaching them everything I command. Amen. I left out Yes. Because it's a global takeover in the government of God, the increase of it, there will be no end. The rule and reign of Christ on the earth, there will be no end. He is making everything subject to himself so that everyone will say Jesus is Lord. And every power and principality and through throne and dominion and rule will be subject to him. And the knowledge of the glory of the God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And we see the culmination of that plan in Revelation 21 and 22. And we need to know now what the heck to do about it. Right? Because the Great Commission loses most Christians. Sadly so. Most Christians don't feel equipped to carry out the Great Commission. So I'll I'll leave you with one more bit of one more one more thought from my friend Jordan Peterson, who I don't know, (laughs) but he says about um, the college kids that he speaks to, whose desire is to go out and protest capitalism because of how it destroys the environment. In other words, they think big. They think global, they think big. Jordan Peterson says to the college student who wants to go out and and protest trashing the environment He says, start by cleaning your room. (laughs) And to me, that gives perfect understanding to what sanctification is really all about. Because this is a global takeover. And this is a global rule and reign. And in the end, every knee will bow. And on the new earth, the ways of God will be walked out perfectly. And those that belong to God will know him face to face. Unveiled. There'll be no idolatry. There'll be no deception. There'll be no rebellion. There'll be no sin. All that's going to come to pass. The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among mountains. And all nations will stream to it. And they will say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. So that we may walk in His ways and He may teach us His paths. That is going to happen globally. What the Lord is reminding me of is our remedy for being adrift is allowing that rule and reign to order our life right now. Don't worry about the globe. Keep your room clean. Don't worry about the presidency. Make sure Jesus is, is Lord in your life. Don't worry about the country. Check your family. If we're going to disciple the nations, we've got to walk in God's ways. If we're going to disciple the nations, we've got to know the Lord. We've got to know his word. We've got to know his ways. How does that happen? Sanctification. Hallelujah. What an an amazing new lens for it. I'm so grateful for it. So grateful the Lord has given me yet another lens for sanctification, yet another why, yet another encouragement, yet another shot of you can do it. It's worth it. Hallelujah. So next week we'll talk about sanctification with all this in place. Amen. Father, we just love you, and we pray that this word, the word that was from you, everything that was from you, would accomplish its intended purpose. For your name's sake, for your kingdom, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.